Welcome to Owl Have You Know, a podcast from Rice Business. This episode is part of our Flight Path series, where guests share their career journeys and stories of the Rice connections that got them where they are. On today's episode of Owl Have You Know, we connect with Kaylin Norwood, online MBA of 2022. We turn the tables a bit on this award-winning journalist and ask her a few questions about her unique and unconventional flight path from being in front of the camera to hitting the books. She shares a day in the life of a Washington, D.C. correspondent and how her Rice education has strengthened her ability and understanding of her craft. She also shares what she hopes the future of journalism has in store. Today on I'll Have You Know, we have Kaylin Norwood, online MBA of the class of 2022. Welcome, Kaylin. Thank you for having me, Maya. Well, this is our third try. I'm going to I'm going to just throw that out there because the other two times you had a lot of breaking news going on, which was phenomenal. So I'm just going to say that if you have to run, everybody understands. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. We can't control breaking news, right? That's why it's breaking. <laughs> it, well, absolutely. Exactly. And that's why we want to talk about this phenomenal journey that you've had. You're an Emmy Award winning journalist and you're currently the White House correspondent in the Washington Bureau for Hearst Television. I just want to start from the beginning. So when did you know that you wanted to be a journalist? Oh, good question. Let me go back a little bit. I got bit by the bug in high school, I think. I have to say it really started when I was part of this debate program in my local high school, of course, and there was a news team, right? They decided to do it for the first time. And I had the opportunity to gather some information and share that to a panel. And that's when I realized I like informing people about what's happening. And it's like, it clicked. It was like a light bulb moment. One of those aha moments, I think, as Oprah says, right? <laughs> so, yes. And it, it really intrigued me. And from then on, the rest of my high school journey, I decided to take some journalism classes and be a part of yearbooks so I could get used to writing and talking to people, some people I don't know, because that's a big part of the job is, especially in local news, uh, you talk to strangers on a regular basis and you have to be able to connect to people and find a way to share their story and stay true to their message. Similar to podcast hosts, I'm just going to draw that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so what did your parents say when you came home and said, you know what? I think this is what I want to do with my life. What do your parents do? So my dad works in the cloud space. You know, I'm not a techie, so I can't give you all the details there. But, you know, the cloud and how things are stored right on your phone etc. At least that's how he explains it to me. Um, and my mom is a small business owner, works in marketing. She also does a little bit in the journalism space here and there, but generally I had her own small business. And so when I was in high school, I told them, I was like, I think this is the direction I'm headed. They were honestly surprised because for years growing up, I said I wanted to be a lawyer, <laughs> I wanted to be an attorney because I guess I could get into debates every now and again, right? As a kid, a big kind of reader and uh, someone who liked to have a fruitful debate on topics. And that was a direction that I thought I was headed for a long time, just really until that moment in high school where I was on that debate team. So you you grew up, you went to USC, the Annenberg School of Journalism. Go Trojans, right? Right on. Uh, and then you took the typical path of a fresh broadcast journalist out of school. You know, you start in small market. 
you were in Eugene, Oregon, and then I believe that you went to KVU in Austin. I had got some of my journalism chops at Fox 7, right? Down oh, the road. Nice. Yes. Uh, yeah, I was a I worked at Fox 7 for a little bit. And then you went to KOAT in New Mexico. Yes. And that was so wait, could you give me like the timeline of when did you land in New Mexico? So that was the most recent job opportunity. And that came during the pandemic. Actually, I was working at KVU, but ended up extending my contract because of what was happening, right? With the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of companies froze hiring during that time period. And it was an interesting space to be in, right? We all remember it in some fashion. And then what some people probably don't know about the journalism industry is that we're all hired on contracts, right? Two to three-year contracts. You can decide to stay. In. But obviously, a lot of the times, the opportunity ends up being in another market, which is why we move around a lot. That's your promotion, I guess, moving up in a market or taking a bigger role somewhere. And Hearst was one of the companies I'd heard great things about, just how they treated their employees and how things were managed. And I saw a great opportunity to go somewhere new, <laughs> go to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Also not too far from family in Dallas, right? Comparatively to where I also went to school in California. So this was a little bit closer so I could get a quick flight home. But there was an opportunity for me to become an anchor reporter there and decided to take it. So I took that job in 2020. So was that before or I guess or after the George Floyd protests that you covered? You covered the Austin bombings before that when you were at KVO and then also the, the COVID-19 pandemic. So tell me about those experiences, because those were really monumental shifts within our culture here in the United States. I, I mean, the pandemic obviously was a monumental shift for everybody, but I think George Floyd really was at a time where everything took a significant pivot and everybody started to look around and recognize that there was there were some fractures within our society. So it, it, it almost seemed like a perfect storm. Yeah, I mean, this, it hit around the same time. And just thinking back to those protests and covering them, on the ground, I mean, you could feel the intensity of the moment, right? It's something that we haven't seen really. And the younger generation, especially really since the civil rights movement. And so many people took to the streets across the country. And that included in Austin, where I was reporting at the time. And I remember when we were on the ground, we really didn't know what was going to happen next, just because the tensions were so great between those who were protesting and police officers at the time. And it was a risk, I think, to be so close on the ground and in, in the middle of things because some things would go on, be set on fire. And you know, I know police were trying to protect themselves as well and didn't know how that response was going to play out. And we did have to get security for journalists just to, so that we could still cover it and still feel safe in some regard and do our job and be a tell this part in history, this moment in history. And, you know, I was grateful to be able to cover it because I think in any society, right, as a journalist, you want to cover the big moments, right? You want to be able to be that first draft of history. And that was one of those opportunities to do it as big of a moment as that was. First draft of history. I really, really like that. That's very, very accurate. I think that a lot of times people don't recognize you know, the courage that journalists have to have because you, you're literally in, in the middle of 
bombings and gunfire. And you really have to just go out there with the faith that you're the one that has to go tell that story because that's part of the Constitution, really. That's that's your job. And I think that a lot of people look at journalism now because you're right in the middle of the fake news movement as well, where if people don't like what they hear and it doesn't fit their agenda, then it must be fake. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that. So how do you deal with this movement also, a negative movement of the media and people shutting down the media and only taking out bits and pieces of what fits their own echo chamber and their own narrative, really? Well, I mean, I guess first off in response to that, it can be tough as a journalist, because especially in local news, you're just a member of the community. (laughs) It's like, I want the truth as much as the next person wants the truth, which is why you get into this business to often discover what that truth is. And, you know, I say this all the time where it's like a fire is a fire, right? A crash is a crash. And especially being a member of your own community, you're not wanting to slant that. So I think the attack maybe was from some was misguided saying that we majority of journalists you can't speak for everyone right because we're all individuals just like any fraction of society you know there's outliers but as a whole journalists are honestly just trying to do their jobs and serve the community and especially coming up in the early stages it wasn't a high-paying job (laughs) it's i did it because (laughs) i was passionate about it and i really felt like i could make a difference and shed a light on issues and allow people to have their voices heard and be that voice in the newsroom when something happens and you feel like, oh, hey, this is a really interesting story that we have to tell and hopefully help people along the way. So, you know, that is a challenging thing. I think people sometimes do confuse maybe the day-to-day news coverage with opinion journalism and commentators, and those are separate entities. And I think that's the best way to just explain, okay, here's what we do. We just bring a camera out, we bring a mic, and we're just a mirror for what's happening in society. Right. The commentators interviewing the other commentators is very different than journalism. Mm-hmm. And that gets grayed and confused a, a little bit. And, and also, you know, the thought that journalism and being a news anchor and being a broadcast journalist is just, you know, so glamorous, <laughs> which yeah. which it isn't. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It appears to be. It appears to be. Right. But they don't know about the getting up at two o'clock in the morning and yeah. working until 11 o'clock at night and not eating all day <laughs> and running from place to place and trying to, to really get to the heart of the story. What is the most challenging part of this role for you? The most challenging part of this job, I think, is trying to get to the heart of the story, right? This, the part of the story that really impacts everyday Americans. Because you'll see it from any administration, any politician, maybe the message they want to get across. But you have to really do your own digging and research and talk to analysts, economists, and say, is is this really going to help people? Because remember, these are elected officials, and most likely they want to get reelected. And you have to fact check and see exactly how their policy position is going to help people and maybe do some homework, right? Has this actually benefited people by doing digging and doing some research to get to the core? And I think that's what our job here, especially in Washington, whether you're covering Congress or the White House, is to hold officials accountable. 
right? I mean, it's one thing to say something, but do your words match up with the actions you have taken? And I think that's where we are, hopefully, that bridge, that spokesperson for, you know, American communities, right? And and that's the goal is to raise those questions, those issues that people have in communities to their leaders. And so what do you what do you enjoy most about your role right now? Probably a few things, right? It's not necessarily one or two, but I would say generally speaking, I do like being able to kind of pose those important questions to officials, right? Whether you get to speak to a secretary or you're speaking, you know, raising questions. And then also we have a seat in the briefing. So asking questions in the briefing room, just being able to kind of, I've said this before, would be a part of history, right? In a way and make sure that the people, you know, in the communities that you're covering, especially we represent local news stations as Hearst Television. So it's Hearst owns a bunch of local news stations for those who don't know and raising those questions, right? What we're seeing and hearing on the ground and seeing if the administration is holding their end of the bargain on issues. So I do, I do like being front and center, being able to pose those questions to officials, but also, I mean, I've learned so much just to be candid being in this role because you're talking about so many big issues day to day, right? So yesterday I was talking about the second state visit of President Biden's presidency uh, with the South Korean president and learning about, you know, digging into those relations, right? And what's happening with North Korea as well. So you're talking about foreign policy and foreign relations one day. And then the next day you're talking about domestic issues and the economy and inflation uh, and really digging into the numbers. And I think it's I like being informed and I like being able to share that information with others, which is the job. (laughs) Yes. And you've had a very unconventional flight path. So let's pivot to Rice. Why did you decide to go get your MBA? You know, that's a million dollar question. No, (laughs) I always (laughs) I always wanted to go back to school or knew that at some point I would. The question was, when would I do that? And what would I be getting my master's degree in? And at the time, it just made sense. Uh, I felt like it, I would learn a lot. I mean, everything's a business. And then I would be able to apply that to even the job that I currently have, right? It'd just be educational, but could also open new doors. And the timing ended up being right in the beginning of the pandemic, and I'm a Texan, so for those who don't know, I'm from Dallas, Texas. I was looking at other programs across the country, but really decided to settle and focus on, you know, my home state. <laughs> I grew up, you know, knowing what kind of institution Rice was and the high level of education that Rice provides. And, you know, I didn't end up going my for my undergrad, but I was like, you know, this is my chance <laughs> to you know, go to a Texas school. And I knew that Rice had a great MBA program and also a program that provided the flexibility that I was looking for to still continue my career, but also gain a a degree in business. And that's what the MBA at Rice program allowed me to do, allowed me to do both. So I was able to continue progressing in journalism and then also gain that new knowledge. (laughs) 
Because you, you chose the online MBA, uh, yes. the MBA at Rice program. And, and that was actually the one that I was considering as well. So I'm the class of 22, but I did the executive MBA program. But I was seriously considering the online one because I was in the same shoes as you, mm-hmm. where I was like, ah, uh, there's a pandemic. And right. is it really going to be in person or is it not going to be in person? It was a question mark because so much was even being shifted online. So it right. just made sense. I mean, I was like, well, if I even do it in person... I feel like a lot of these classes are going to be shifted to Zoom anyway, and you're going to get a similar education. You know, of course, with the MBA Rice program, videos are async videos, and they're already online, pre-programmed for you to watch. So it was an easier transition, <laughs> of course, because that's the platform it's meant to be on. Yes. And so tell me about the relationships that you made through the online program with your cohort. So I was actually surprised, and it is part of the reason why I did pick Rice too, because I think the university does a good job in making sure you can still make those personal connections with people because they're live Zoom classes, right? You're not just right. watching asyncs. I know some programs really just focus, okay, only async videos, and you're really not getting to know any of your classmates. But because we had async along with live sessions, you know, you see multiple people in classes regularly and you get to know them. And I think we all learned through the pandemic you can still build, you know, important and great relationships via phone and via Zoom and even via text, right? So, I mean, it's not completely lacking. You know, we love in person, but you still can build important relationships that way. And I think that carried over, especially with the hybrid part of it to where you could still go on campus occasionally. So I did come to Rice a couple times. And then we also had our trip overseas that I was able to be a part of at the end of my program. So you still build those important relationships and I'm friends with people. We stay in touch on LinkedIn or social media still. So (laughs) what was your favorite class? Well, the one I'm using the most right now is economics, right? We're covering the economy. I feel like I'm forever going back to things that I learned in that class because it's just practical experience and knowledge that I'm using in my day-to-day job with concerns that we could enter a recession, right? People are talking about that regularly. So that one is just one that I use more. But I would say my favorite would probably be the classes where, like entrepreneurship classes, because I've, I've always also been intrigued. And the ability, right, to create your own business and space and being your own boss. And so those those classes were just very interesting, like how a company has even started. Rice provides you that good platform to explore and to start something from the ground up. Let's pivot a little bit and talk about who you look up to the most in the field of journalism. Who do you look up to the most and why? Because I know who my person is. <laughs> like a Christiana Monpour and a Martha uh-huh. Raddatz. I mean, those are, but I mean, that ages me, right? So that tells you exactly like when I was, who I was watching uh, when, when I was in journalism. But, you know, who are yours? Who are those people that, that, you know, you would be starstruck by if you haven't already met them? Who would you want to meet in the industry? And what would you ask them? So two parts. First, and this is a former journalist, of course, be Oprah. Uh, this is just growing up watching Oprah's show mm-hmm. and just how she connected to people in interviews. I think just watching her interview style is one that I admire. 
I mean, you'd see her glance at her notes occasionally, but she really listened to the person on the opposite end. I think that's what drew the audience in uh, was her ability to really connect and pay attention and ask thoughtful questions. And you could see the prep because, I mean, especially, you know, I do that in interviews today, but the prep work that goes into big interviews, you really need to know your interview subject. And to me, that was evident in the interviews that she did. So, of course, if I ever met her, <laughs> I would I would be thrilled. And, yeah, that'd probably be one of the few that'd be starstruck. And this one is probably, I mean, it's more general. But it's really the peers, right? Being in this White House correspondence space. I admire all of them. I, I mean, just being in the briefing room. And we, I think as a cohort or as colleagues, feed off of one another questions and you admire each and every person that's in the room. And I think there is an appreciation because we never know who's going to get really called on in a briefing, but there is an appreciation for someone following up on maybe a question that wasn't directly answered as someone had hoped, right? And and feeding off of each other to make sure that we get the answers that are needed for folks, but just uh, finding a way to continue to kind of hold leaders accountable. I mean, I, I admire generally White House correspondents here because everyone is doing what people don't realize around the clock job, right? You're you're right. always on and just the work and dedication that goes into it, the work ethic of the journalist in Washington covering national politics. I, I admire it. I'm also curious about journalism is typically a white male dominated industry or had been for generations. You know, I mean, you had the Walter Cronkite and you had Peter Jennings and and you had Dan Rather. I mean, I can go on and on and on. Uh, And then you had like Diane Sawyer, who also phenomenal and Barbara Walters. But in general, how do you navigate being a woman of color in a historically white male dominated field? You know, I think if you look kind of in this space and I I keep referencing the briefing because that's when you see it clearly. Because uh, I know most of the time we're all just running around <laughs> to another destination. <laughs> and it, it, there's been growth. There's been improvement. We do see more women that are represented as White House correspondents, especially among the big networks that are primarily led by women right now as White House correspondents. And then women of color, there's more, but I believe there's more work to do. That is a, an area that you know, I think there could be growth. But for me, what's more important is that I, I represent the people I'm intended to represent. To me, diversity is only an asset, you know, not a liability because you're presenting or representing an, a community, right? That's part of America's yes. society. And it should only be seen as an asset because there's more that connects us all. I mean, we, we all have faced similar issues, not the same, but similar issues. And I think if collectively, the more diversity of thought, of mind, of experience that's in the room, we're only going to get more accountability and better answers from the officials that, you know, we're asking questions to. Sure. And so what would be your advice for other women of color looking to make their mark in this industry? So if there's a little girl listening right now that wants to pursue journalism in a fairly polarized society right now. What advice would you give her? Initially, I would say be bold. Don't let your difference or how things appear right now, especially if you have years to go right before you get to X, Y, and Z destination, because it is a journey. Things are likely to change by the time you get there. 
So don't be intimidated by how things are right now and closing yourself off to a certain career path or a position because you haven't seen anyone that looks like you doing the job. You could be that first. So just prepare as if you're able to do the job. And hopefully by the time you get there, you can be someone that other young girls look up to. Like you are. (laughs) (laughs) Very kind. No, it's true. It's true. So what are some of your goals for the future? I mean, honestly, this is a space where I'm, I'm worried a lot and I'm enjoying covering Washington, covering, I still do dip a little bit into covering Congress, but of course, covering the White House. And right now I, I do want to really dig into this space and I can see myself doing this for a while, but I feel like this is one of those businesses where you don't really know what's going to happen next. There's nope. really predicted, <laughs> right? Because I think timing is everything and just how things shift and change. So I think there is a bit of a question mark, but I do like covering national politics and especially the White House. So I could see myself doing that, hopefully just at an elevated level each time. And so with regards to competition, because there's a lot more competition now than there was 10 years ago with social media, because a lot of people get their information from social media, from Twitter, Mm -hmm. from Facebook, from Instagram, from all all sorts of a plethora of, of sources. How do you navigate that? I think our role as a journalist, as journalists in general, are going to really be providing the full picture for people, right? There's only so much that you get out of a tweet, right? That's a headline that tells you the shock factor, I guess, of the story or what someone said. But you're missing so much in that tweet. But I think it's there is an emphasis that is being made maybe from the top and hopefully what people, they'll get more from a full local news story or from even watching network news that you're actually going to get the full story. You're going to hear from someone who is on the ground where that event took place. Because I think there is something that's missing, right? If you're just getting a Facebook alert or, you know, you're you're getting alerts on your phone. Because sometimes people, you know, you don't necessarily always click, right? You don't always click to read the whole story. Just That's the problem. Right. And that's the problem. So, I mean, (laughs) to me, the role of local journalists and those that air on local TV stations, kind of like the work that we do here at Hearst TV is to really provide that value, right? To provide that background. So we did the digging, we did the research, we we talked to both sides, Republicans and Democrats on this issue. You saw the headline, but here's the full story as much as we can give you. You know what I mean? Like, here's the rest of the story. Here's what both of your interested lawmakers are saying on this. And I think, you know, if you continue to do a great job and provide value to people, you know, they'll watch your stuff. Proofs in the pudding cliche, but true. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I think just doing a good job, you know what I mean? It sounds cliche to say do a good job, but you know what I mean? Like just not cutting corners, right? To do a holistic, holistic job. Right. A holistic job. I don't think that there's a lot of broadcast journalists that go back and get their MBA <laughs> like you and me, but uh, for, for those, for those that are, are considering dipping their toe in into this water that that is a very unconventional path for whatever field they're in what advice would you give them and why would you recommend rice over other programs i'm gonna be honest i've had 
friends that are in this business even reach out and say, hey, I saw that you got your MBA. Why'd you do that? I've I've been thinking about maybe going back to school myself. You know, can you tell me why this, that that was beneficial for you? And for me, hands down, I'm so grateful that I decided to go back and get my MBA because I I feel like I have a better understanding (laughs) of how the world works. I mean, I said at the beginning, everything's a business, but it really is true. I think you'll understand your boss is better and the decisions that they make. And hopefully you can provide value to whatever organization that you're in in a better way, understanding the big picture, right? Just taking certain classes, competition, X, Y, and Z, right? I think you just have a better understanding. And then for me, literally covering the economy on a regular basis, it's a top issue right now in society. And hopefully I can provide something different than maybe some other journalists who don't have that background. And I can provide hopefully a little bit more in-depth understanding or simplify a complex issue. So I, I think there are practical benefits, but I think just being more knowledgeable as a human being and a member of society, it's hard to put a price on that. And if you have the opportunity to go do it, why not? So go do it. <laughs> yeah, so go do it. There it is. Well, and that's that's also something that, you know, nobody can ever take away your education. Right. They can take everything else away from you. My grandmother said this, but nobody can take away your education. Grandma's right. <laughs> <laughs> Grandma's they always right. are. Yeah. Grandma's <laughs> always right. Well, Caitlin, it's been it's been an honor and a pleasure to talk with you. And we really appreciate you carving out a bit of time to talk with us today. And we really look forward to seeing what the future holds for you. This has been so fun. So thank you again for having me on. Thanks for listening. This has been I'll Have You Know, a production of Rice Business. You can find more information about our guests, hosts, and announcements on our website, business.rice.edu. Please subscribe and leave a rating wherever you find your favorite podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think. The hosts of I'll Have You Know are myself, Scott Gale, and Maya Pomeroy.